Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. You ready to get started? I'm ready to get started. Are we? Re- are you already recording? I am. Designers walk into a bar. A place where pop culture loving creatives discover design icons that make us tick. And we share a few cocktails in the process. Yep. Today we're getting involved, raising our hands, being counted, and exercising our civic appreciation for great poster design. We'll be moved to take a stand as we reach across the aisle to get another cocktail when two designers walk into a bar. So Todd, I have a poster today that I'm really excited to tell you about. It's been one of my favorites for years, although I will admit I didn't know about it until I was in design school and took a design history class. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Uh, how old is it? Oh, it is. I'm bad at math, which is why I'm a designer. But uh-huh. it is about, I would say, oh, 80, 85 years old. So, oh, okay. o- so older, older than me by a couple years. By a few years, yeah. Uh, so you're batting around the same thing as our um, ad mascot time frame, which was about 90 and 100 years, too. So that's pretty cool. Uh, it's interesting. I think you're obsessed with that time period for some reason. I must be. All right, so I also have a poster that is much younger than that, uh, which is unusual because usually I go for the old retro stuff. I'm going to be talking about this not from the design so much standpoint because I think so much has been said about the design already that is so commonplace, but a little bit of the backstory, a little bit of the drama, if you will. Wow, that sounds juicy. Okay. Yeah, it is. And without further ado, let's jump in and get started. All right, go for it. So, Elliot, uh, tell me and the audience what kind of poster you have in mind. Oh, you know what? We didn't talk about our theme yet. Um, we, we both have posters, but really what we're talking about is is kind of communicating a big idea, maybe a civic idea, if you will, or a movement. Right? Yes, yes, definitely. You're, uh, you're, you're here to talk about the same thing, right? 
<laughs> oh, I hope. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me hold on just a second. Let me put my uh, bottle cap collection away. Yes, I'm here today <laughs> to talk to you about posters. Yeah. Oh, no. Right, and, tell me about this. One yeah. In, in, in all seriousness, this was, you know how sometimes when you're exposed to something for the first time, it just has stopping power. Even mm -hmm. if it's, whether it's like, you know, art history or something when you're walking through a museum or, you know, just something you stumble across in everyday life. And I, I always love the things that um, are, are sort of, I, I think with posters and with, with design artifacts in general, and we've talked about this before in past episodes, but these things that are sort of meant to be ephemeral, but then they just have this staying power. There's just something about them that is really, really magnetic, and they are so good at communicating an idea that it 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 resonates across generations. Mm -hmm. So, what was it about this particular poster? All right. For, well, first of all, tell me and the audience the poster or posters you're talking about, and then tell me why it was so magnetic to you when you first saw it. Absolutely. So, the poster was actually part of a, a series, and it was the Lester Beale posters for the Rural Electrification Administration. So this oh, was, nice. yeah. yeah. So this is something that was like in the mid thirties to late thirties. This particular poster was from the first series. A lot of them had titles because they were about a very specific thing like water or radio or something like that. This one is a more general high level poster. And I don't even know if it has a title, but basically it's two children probably early teens, like sixth grade, seventh grade, mm -hmm, eighth grade, mm -hmm. you know, age, two rural teens leaning against a white fence and um, they're in black and white. And then in the background, the sky has these horizontal red and white stripes. Mm -hmm. And then behind the kids themselves, it is a blue background. And then along the bottom plank of the fence, it just says in red stencil type, Rural Electrification Administration, then underneath that, an even smaller spaced out all caps type, U.S. Department of Agriculture. So it's just this general sort of capstone poster that really did a great job of introducing rural America to this idea of electrification. Okay, Pauls. Yes. That doesn't sound like it has any electricity in it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning the, uh, you, oh, you're talking about the fact that there's no device, there's no light bulb in it. Right. No... Are they leaning against an electric fence? That would be interesting. That'd be a different sort of poster, yeah. So <laughs> I I'm... think they would have a different expression on their face than they, than they do in this poster. So it's really, it's like rural America, it, it's young America. Um, Between it's... the wars, right? Yeah. So at this time period, just to contrast and it's kind of fascinating actually that we're talking about this between the wars idea and the reason i say that is at the time when this poster came out when this program was launched so this is part of the new deal administration so when this was launched this program only 11 percent of the united states had electricity wow at the same time europe continental europe it was 990 percent wow so the u.s federal government was really worried about falling behind. Mm -hmm. So basically what Beale did all in all, this program ended when World War II started in 1941 for obvious reasons. There were mm -hmm. distractions, mm -hmm. right? And he went on to design other posters in service of the war effort. But mm -hmm. he designed three series of posters between 1937 and 1941. And it was all just around this idea of utilities and 
just like I said a minute ago, telephone, radio, electricity, running water, all of these things that today we take for granted. You know, and in fact, thinking about this, it would be really, really interesting if one of the movements today, for example, especially in the age of COVID with so many children learning from home, mm -hmm. is there has been talk for years about Wi-Fi and that, that the internet is a basic right and should be a universal utility, high-speed internet should be available like anything else. So I think if Beale were alive today, like this poster, instead of maybe being yeah, horizontal it, stripes, it would be Wi-Fi. Yeah. yeah, it'd be like arced stripes sort right, of radiating right. out, right? And oh, it'd be a kid okay. in front of a laptop or something. All right, so you use the word movement. So yes. um, I want to, I haven't even told you what I'm going to talk about uh, today, but there, uh, on the surface, there seems to be a couple things in common. Mine's not a giant reveal. I'm going to talk about Shepard Ferry's poster that he did of Barack Obama, um, the famous Hope poster. Yes. But I'm not going to talk about it in terms so much of the of the design because anyone with eyes has seen this poster and they understand what it looks like. And if you know Shepard Ferry's work, you're familiar with uh, his style. He's a street artist. He's known for his boldness. He's known for using stencils. And he's a pretty well-known art activist too, which mm -hmm. is really appealing. The interesting thing about this is his work comes from skate culture and hardcore culture. Uh, extensive use of appropriated images and stenciled and things like that. Like there's a real urgency to getting the work done. So I said movement. I, I'm not going to talk about a candidate. That's the that's what I'm not going to talk about. But what attracted Shepard Ferry to doing this to begin with was. Um, Barack Obama seemed to be tapping into some messaging that he really could get behind, he, Shepard Ferry, could get behind and thought it was new and thought it was different and thought it was a movement. Mm. Um, he reached out and just said, hey, do you mind, to the campaign, do you mind if I do some stuff? And they're like, yeah, sure. So it wasn't commissioned by the campaign to begin with. But then, as we say here in the 2020s, uh, it got it uh, crazy viral and it took off uh, and then things started happening that would be challenging. So back to Lester Bill and his version of activism and posters. Yeah, I would say <laughs> it may be uh, definitely influential, um, but less uh, controversial, right, probably. Right. I guess you wouldn't really hear about the controversy because none of those people had electricity unless hey they mounted a letter-writing campaign. be hard to, hard to know about. But, yeah, I want to quickly talk about Lester Beale because I think he and Shepard Ferry do have some things in common, even though they're generations apart. Um, mm -hmm. As creative people... So he was very, he, uh, Lester Beale, was very influenced by European art movements of the time. And mm -hmm. we will post a link. There is a wonderful link. He is actually an AIJ medalist. And there is a wonderful interview, far too deep to get into on our podcast today. But I'll link to it on AIJ's website because whenever there is a, a medalist awarded, they always talk about what was the criteria for getting the award. They talk all about his influences. He's very influenced by European art movements of the time. And basically, one of the great quotes that I think speaks to how he arrived at this poster and this design for this poster, much less the series, was that 
Beale felt that the designer, quote, must work with one goal in mind, mm-hmm. to integrate the elements in such a manner that they will combine to produce a result that will convey not merely a static commercial message, but an emotional reaction as well. If we can produce the kind of art which harnesses the power of the human instinct for that harmony of form, beauty, and cleanness that seems inevitable when you see it, then I think we may be doing a good job for our clients. (laughs) All right, so let me uh, share a quote that Shepard Ferry said um, about this, his particular poster. And, and we can contrast their uh, their use of words here. <laughs> Go for it. He says, a lot of people were digging Obama, uh, but they didn't have any way to symbolically show their support. It became very clear quickly that the demand for an image like that had not been supplied and that the Obama supporters were very hungry for it and also motivated to spread it. So it's interesting, they're saying the same thing, um, but obviously Shepard Ferry is saying it you know, uh, 80 years later in a little bit more vernacular. So what I think is cool about both of those is using their talents to to help a cause that they believe in. Definitely. Credit where credit is due. So Shepard Ferry was able to hone his chops over the years, of course, with his Andre the Giant mm-hmm. needs a posse, right? You know, starting from mm-hmm. the crummy Xerox sticker all the way up to the Obey movement and all of these sorts of things. So. Really, if you think about it, he did a great job kind of laying the groundwork about building this persona around this public individual. (laughs) You know, the first time around, of course, it was a pro wrestler, Mm -hmm. but that really made the segue, I think, into making this other person heroic that maybe wasn't like a a quote-unquote character, but needed in some way to sort of be a character be larger than life to give people something to believe in. Well, and like the Lester Bill posters, Lester Bill was communicating a concept, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Shepard Ferry was communicating uh, a person with a concept, uh, and you're exactly right. He had to turn a candidate into uh, an icon. And interestingly enough, um, there's plenty of other political figures or leaders that kind of share the same pose from that particular, uh, same as that particular Obama poster. Shepard Ferry says he was inspired by John F. Kennedy, inspired by Abraham Lincoln on the $5 bill. You can even see some Che Guevara in there. It's like slightly uh, shot from below. They're looking up know three-quarter view so again very heroic yeah very heroic comic book like right 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 very bold um and of course the colors that he used also um red and blue in a form of kind of cream so it was also while it was done in 2008 the colors were a little washed out they were grayed out a little bit so it felt like nostalgia Mm -hmm. and the interesting thing I, i read about the way he did that, um, obviously, given his background as a street artist, stencils were really commonplace. So it wasn't like he was trying to capture a realistic portrait um, of, of this person. But what he thought consciously about was, I'm going to use red, I'm going to use blue, I'm going to use this cream color, and I'm going to deracialize, decolorize, basically take the color out of, uh, of this the candidate so it won't be a thing anymore it's like just make it an icon um, so it doesn't have to mean anything other than that I wonder 
thinking about this Lester Beale poster, you raise a really good point. This was done in the mid-30s. If we were to modernize or update this poster, what would the kids look like who would be pictured in there today? Yeah. You know, it might still be a boy and a girl. There's mm -hmm. probably siblings, you know, if, mm -hmm. if one is assigning um, some sort of background story or meaning to this photo that he chose. Would it be kids who are black and brown and mm -hmm. and you know speaking again more to the audience he was speaking to at the time rural farmers yeah they were probably white right mm -hmm. you know if you're mm -hmm. in the middle of Iowa or Kansas or whatever one of the things I feel is interesting about both of these things is they're very much snapshots or artifacts of the time in which they were created mm-hmm mm Doing a little bit of homework about the Hope poster, the Obama poster, <laughs> it's really funny because someone had asked Shepard Ferry, I guess, he had a, an interview, I think it was in Esquire. Did you find <laughs> this in your research where he talked about someone said, well, like, okay, well, you know, Obama's rolling along as president. You made this portrait. What do you think of the job he's doing? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and he was like, mm, yeah, not what he I was thought. not excited about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, a, not what I thought. Yeah. That was interesting. Yeah. I'll get into that in a little bit more. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at sax.com. You know, the thing that I think is cool, I'm going to sort of riff on art activism for a second. He designed the poster in one day, early 2008, and then printed a total of like 700 of them, sold 350, put 350 more up in public, used the money from the sale of the first 350 to continue printing more. So all of the proceeds from selling the image went back into making more stuff for the Obama campaign. And at this point, he's completely independent. They, they gave him the go-ahead to do it, but they're not connected in any way. They're like, yeah, sure, artist wants to do poster of our candidate. Sure, why not? Flash forward to October of 2008, and they have now printed 300,000 posters. They've sold less than 2,000 of them and have given the rest away or displayed them and well over a million stickers. So they are cranking. So these things are everywhere. And it really, it became a symbol of the Obama campaign. It started as an independent artist getting involved, believing that they had a voice they wanted to share about a particular candidate. And it turned into really the official graphic of the campaign. Now, I think if you, as you just referenced Shepard Ferry's quote into the presidential um, tenure, I think that there was a whole lot of hope to, you know, use quotation marks there sure. for the candidate. The candidate was seen as a different type of candidate and the poster was seen as a different way to talk about a candidate. It, it really was sort of filled with um, inspiration and vision. It was so powerful, like there was no mistaking 
what it was all about. I think what I really like about both of these posters, definitely the, the Shepherd Fairy poster for sure, is that it's such a quick read and mm-hmm. it's so bold. Mm-hmm. And uh, you look at it and it just, it hits all the right notes, I think. This is like a reboot of America. This is like America, I don't know what, 3.0 or whatever version you would think about. This is the America of the future. To your point earlier, color isn't an issue. Progress, we're gonna get things done. It's a new form of government. You know, it really was a movement. It was seen as very, very forward thinking. Hey, Todd, I don't know about you, but I need to get all this uh, wheat paste off my hands. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. how about we wash up, take a quick break, top off our drinks, and meet back here around the bar in just a minute. Sounds great, Elliot. Be back in a minute. So... I think the poster really does a good job of embodying the spirit of what both the artist felt and then it obviously translated once the campaign co-opted it and really ran with it. I think it really, you know, they were smart enough to look at it and say, oh, shit, this is this guy is doing something far better than we could ever do on our own. (laughs) You know, like, let's let's roll (laughs) with this. Right. There are a couple of things I want to bring up just as a point of clarification. If knowing Shepard Fairey, knowing what I know about him, um, not knowing him, I don't know him personally, but being familiar with his career arc, the original run of posters were screen prints, weren't they? They were. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then like when he was doing like the thousands and thousands of posters at that point, those were offset printed, right? They were more mass produced posters, right? I believe so. Yeah. Because I was thinking about that with regard to the Lester Beale poster mm-hmm. and the fact that it is also three colors, but mm-hmm. that was mass produced. That was, you know, offset lithography, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you know, it was three spot colors. It wasn't four color process at that mm-hmm. time. Four color process wasn't nearly as sophisticated as it is today. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all photographic. It was truly color separations and all this sort of thing. And I love the fact that to keep it clean and keep it simple, And this idea of red, white, and blue, the three colors of America, both of these guys opted to just swing for the fences, really, with their choice of color. It wasn't about nuance, although I would say Shepard Fairey had that a little bit with that off-white cream Mm -hmm, rather mm -hmm. than stark white. I think it was meant to harken back to probably something that Lester Bill would have done. It was was aged, so it wasn't, um, maybe it didn't look quite so progressive it was maybe balancing that out where it was hearkening back for it. I mean, I, I wasn't alive after post-World War II, like in the 50s, you know, 40, mid-40s and the 50s. But we think about the, the, you know, the atomic age, the whole leave it to beaver idea and GI Bill and people coming back and settling down. Mm-hmm. And that was a time of great prosperity, obviously, for the United mm-hmm. States, for, for a lot of people, of course, not for everyone, unfortunately. But it's this idea of that mid-century kind of, I don't know, back to the future <laughs> sort mm-hmm. of right, right. nostalgia of that era. And so if he made it too digital and too cold or too perfect, I guess, probably would be an off note wouldn't have felt authentic or legitimate. And I think, of course, the screen printing 
also adds to that. It was dragged by hand with a squeegee and all these mm-hmm. sorts of things. So you do get rough edges. You I love do the get way a you said squeegee. squeegee. So let me ask you this. The Lester Bill posters were obviously successful because I think we have power in Iowa now, right? Do we have power now? Iowa, can can we have somebody check on that? Yeah, well, if unless a tornado is touched okay. down, yeah. So we have power yeah, yeah, there yeah, in Nebraska. Yeah. Was Lester Bill sued for any of that work or facing any kind of uh, jail time or anything for any anything he had uh, you know, given your line of well, for, first the, the the answer is no, and I think one of the main reasons is because he was contracted by the government to do it. Oh, part of the REA program. So no, but it sounds to me like perhaps our yeah. friend Shepard got into a, a little bit of hot water. Well, the the wonderful thing about Shepard is he certainly has been arrested a number of times, fourteen and counting. I think part of his activism. After the election, so a couple things happened in January of 2009. Uh, Right in the early part of January, the Smithsonian uh, Institute got a copy of uh, one of the originals. He he basically did a painting of the poster. And didn't he, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's also collage in that, right? Aren't there collage elements? So it's a little more detailed and ornate. It is, yeah. And it's it's bigger. And, you know, it was more of like a a hand-done work of art, but certainly looked like that. And then, of course, Obama was inaugurated on the 20th of January. And then shortly after that, the Associated Press realized that one of their images that they own was sort of the model for for the drawing that um, Shepard Ferry used. It was revealed that one of their photos, shot by a freelancer, a guy named Manny Garcia, was used that Shepard Ferry drew from. Now, we could disagree on this all day long. You know, no offense to Manny Garcia. He took a photograph of then Senator Obama, not even candidate Obama, in 2006, sitting next to George Clooney at a Darfur conference. I was excited. I thought you were gonna say George Clinton. No, that would be better than, wouldn't it? Realistically, anyone who was standing or sitting in his place could have shot the same photo. Uh, and, and again, no offense to him. It was perfectly nice photo. That said, Associated Press said, oh, ew, this is famous and you owe us some money for using that. So what had resulted in actually three lawsuits around that one poster. What Shepard Ferry did was he actually sued first for something (laughs) called a declaratory judgment. So that is basically, so I'm not a lawyer, but it's saying that you can, as a party involved in a possible legal matter, you can ask the court to conclusively rule on rights or duties or obligations. So basically, he said, I want the court to rule that I am using uh, an image in a fair way and fair, that I'm yeah, not infringing. Fair, fair use. Yeah, yeah. Right. as it's, an it's, artist, I'm doing this uh, for fair use. It's out and, in the public. The world has seen it. This guy, uh, the photographer, Manny Garcia, is not going to get any more compensation from this. Right, right. Okay. And, and, and as an artist, you know, I, I have legal rights to 
use images to create it, it, Obama's art. a public figure, all these sorts of things. Right, right. And even so much like Manny Garcia, the original photographer, he has seen, he saw this image, he's, he's quoted as saying, you know, I shot, he ended up shooting the campaign for months and months and months, like 20 something months. And he said, I would see this artwork and I thought it was great. I would photograph it, I'd photograph, you know, the candidates with the artwork. And then I thought, what is with this image? And it, he never realized it was based on one of his photos from 2006. So was he flattered by the fact that his work was used to? Yeah, he okay. loves it. He, okay. said, he said, it never occurred to me it was my picture. It's a really cool piece of work. But it was Associated Press. Obviously, he's a freelancer. Associated Press owned the rights to it. So uh -huh. they're the ones that were less flattered that uh, <laughs> the picture was, was used. Now, again, I don't agree. As an artist and a designer, Shepard Ferry did not use the photograph, right? I mean, right. he used a model, basically. And again, if you or I were standing in the same place and had an iPhone at the time, we could have created the same image for reference. No offense, but, Manny. Yeah, I'm sorry, Manny. A wonderful, wonderful person, I'm sure. If you're keeping score, that's two lawsuits. Okay. So the parties actually settled out of court a few years later in 2011. The details remain confidential, but they said some legal gobbledygook like, you know, we were both uh, co-promoting the use of this image and the blah, 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 blah. Anyway, as it turns out, even a year later, Shepard Ferry had to plead guilty in New York federal court for destroying and fabricating documents around that legal battle. So when legal battle was happening, he kind of jumped the gun a little bit and destroyed some of his reference stuff. And then later, kind of, it came out that it was used and he had to admit that he uh, had destroyed and fabricated some evidence. So he actually pleaded guilty. He was sentenced to two years of probation, 300 hours community service and a $25,000 fine. So here is this artist who didn't get paid squat to do this poster, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, I'm sure his reputation is in perfect shape, and I'm sure he got a few dollars off of other work, too. But here he is having to plead guilty and do all these other things like community service and pay $25,000. Wow. Okay. So is... Shepard Ferry bitter about any of this? Is he mad at the AP or the photographer? I know we talked a few minutes ago that he feels Obama sort of let him down, but I think that's more a general record of performance as a politician. <laughs> yeah. as I don't think it has anything to do with the poster. Right, 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 yeah. The internet is completely vacant on that. Obviously, part of their um, agreement was yeah, to, to not speak yeah. of it again. But so, so. I will say, and I'll get, I, I want to hear more from you on Lester Bill, but I will say he did okay for himself uh, in the end with all of the parodies that were numerous. The one piece, the signature piece we talked about in the Smithsonian, is that still there? Did that survive the lawsuit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay. Mean, it, it, the, the work still stands. They came to an agreement of how they would get credit. So, I haven't seen the artwork in the National Portrait Gallery, but I'm sure it probably says something like artist is Shepard Ferry from a reference given by the Associated Press or something like that. Yeah, we should look that up. Yeah, you know. that we should look that yeah, up. Yeah, so we'll uh, look that up and we'll put that out there on our website for sure. 
this is uh yeah a tad more controversial than uh, bringing electricity to <laughs> the flyover parts of the united states now um, you now you're from one of the flyover states you can't say that I, I can I you're right I mean I don't oh, say I that you I don't can say because you are yeah I don't say that with any sort of judgment I <laughs> I, I, I state stated as simple simple fact it would be one thing if this lawsuit happened and then like all the work that Shepard Ferry did had to be destroyed right but oh, I yeah. you know again I think as we reflect back on the Lester Beale poster 85 years out I'm very curious about. 85 years from 2008 when our kids grandkids will be in Washington DC looking at this Shepard Ferry poster what they're going to think about it mm -hmm. right because in my opinion lawsuit schmasuit that'll be gone no one right. will remember that yeah, it's but a footnote. It, yeah but if this artwork can still stand I mean in a weird way I think that almost bolsters Shepard Ferry's rebel you know resume right of course yeah yeah, yeah. so I, I think it's you know he came out of the skate graffiti street culture that we both know and love and yeah. so i think yeah to have a backstory of something in the smithsonian that mm -hmm. that didn't have something cool like that as part of it i think would almost be a bummer and almost be a disservice yeah and think about so when you've started this conversation by saying you were turned on to Lester Bill's posters while in design school and yeah. a few things kind of stop you in your tracks. That I'm sure when you were first exposed to it, they didn't tell you the entire story about such a small percentage of people having electricity. No, not at all. And the same with Shepard Ferry's work. You think about it now, like he is a street artist. He's known for his activism. He's been arrested 14 times. And now he has a historical piece of work in the National Portrait Gallery. So he will go on to inspire a group of probably currently disenfranchised design students that didn't really know how they could put their voice to work, maybe encourage them to do something with their talent. And that just grows his credibility and his, uh, and his audience, if you ask me. Well, I think, that, again, posters as this vehicle for movements. I mean, there have been so many political posters over the years, definitely, whether it be civil rights, abortion rights, political movements like certain candidates or certain types of government or all of these different things. Throughout the world, when you see protests, there's always people holding up posters, everything from like the total vernacular, like made at home with magic markers and poster board all the way up to something much more slickly produced like the Shepard Ferry poster but mm -hmm. even today in the age of all these digital tools that we have there's still something about a poster mm -hmm. I love the fact that long after the iPads we're looking at and the zeros and ones that are on these different screens are dead and buried paper and ink is a pretty killer app Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the scale of a poster, like a half-size or full-size broadsheet, is pretty incredible. I mean, even today, when you walk into a movie theater and you go into the lobby, they still have posters there, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. For you know, They certainly have larger, more elaborate displays, but every single movie that gets released still has a poster, and that's pretty cool. You think about 
Saul Bass and Hitchcock and all the posters that he made and all these sorts of things. I mean, it's just, we could go, we could have a whole podcast series about nothing but amazing posters. Oh my God, yeah, I love them. And you know what I love about them is the psychology of how you read a poster. You have to see it from 50 feet away and it has to convey something, enough to trigger something in your brain to go closer. And then it has to give you more information when you're 10 feet away that says, okay, I'm rewarded for walking that distance now. This is what I thought it would be. And it has tickled my brain enough that I wanna go up and I wanna read the small type now. So I love that part. And I think that in itself is kind of a way that I've designed plenty of posters, Elliot, and I know you have too. And I'm gonna plug you and say, I believe you have one in the Library of Congress uh, as well, which I don't, but I'm going to say the philosophy of that poster design is really beneficial for, for me as a designer to think about how people interact. They don't give you a hot minute to start with. You have to bring them in and then you have to continue feeding them as you get them closer and closer. Well, it goes back to why I asked about whether or not the poster in the Smithsonian was the one with the collage with the detail because I think you're exactly right in that from across a gallery you'd look at that and say wow that's a pretty amazing cool interesting portrait but then when you get up within a couple feet of it you're like wow okay there's all this subtle mm -hmm. subtext to it that I wouldn't have seen from across the room that's true with just so many posters that I, I love like I mean we could like I said earlier we could sit here the rest of the day like all the hat show print test sheet like when they're inking up the press and sell their oh, yeah, make ready sheets yeah. and just all the color overlapping and the different orientations of the wood cuts and everything we got to do a letterpress oh, uh, podcast one yes day, yes because that's awesome you're right yeah, I, 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 I'm really at a loss for words, and you're probably loving that. <laughs> I've never heard that in my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just shows the impact and the value, and at least for me, the reverence I have for that specific medium in graphic design. You, like me, Elliot, you're a poster collector too, right? Yes. You have quite a few vintage posters. Do you happen to have copies of these Lester Bill posters? I do not. I would say the closest thing that I have that is Lester Beale-like, thinking about a more contemporary version, would be the Michael Schwab Golden Gate Parks oh, poster yeah. series. Yeah. I have some Michael Schwab posters, not from that series, but I love, again, and maybe we can do a future episode on, on the Michael Schwab and his poster art. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I love the fact that he was commissioned to do a series for each of the parks, you know, in the Golden Gate Parks mm -hmm, uh, collection mm -hmm. to get people in the Bay Area and outside of it who are visiting to come enjoy some of the more offbeat things in and around San Francisco. I love that. That is a, that's a really good tie into what we've been talking about today, which is using your design skills and particularly your poster design skills for civic pride or a movement of some kind to get people informed in, in some way, which I think is fantastic. Absolutely. Todd, I, I don't know. I think we've, <laughs> if you ask me, I think we've done a pretty good job uh, <laughs> covering our topic today. <laughs> I mean, like I said earlier, I just have, uh, I, I love the fact that you chose the Shepherd Fairy poster because I believe that sort of takes the groundwork 
that Lester Beale and others, of course, started to lay. Again, it just talks about one of these core mantras that we always have where every designer is always standing on the shoulders of right, designers right. who came before them. I think we're very lucky that we're able to work in a profession mm -hmm. where there's a very obvious way to connect the dots and have this continuum and be able to sort of do these archaeological digs and say, oh, this thing that was done a year ago reminds me of this other thing done 10 years ago, which right, reminds me of this right. other thing done 50 years ago. They say, what is it? There's like not any new ideas, only, you know, new interpretations of old ideas kind of thing. I'm fine with that. I think if you can add your own flavor to something and update it, but it's sort of in the canon of what's been going on in design for, you know, now the better part of 150 years. Well, the, I'm sure they were saying that. I'm sure Lester Bill heard that in the 30s, too. Sure. And it's, but, you know, we don't, we're, we're not looking at a complete linear uh, timeline of the history of design when you look at things like that. We're looking at a guy who took a pretty major bold step forward in poster design using a combination of photography and bold graphics to sell something to people who, you know, like basically he was bringing fire to the cavemen at the time. They, uh, yeah, know, they didn't need they it. They didn't know what they, yeah, they didn't need it. They didn't know they needed it. I yes, say. yes. That's a better way to phrase that. Um, so yeah, we're always looking at better ways to get a point across. So you're right. Maybe there aren't any new ideas. Maybe there, I don't know when the ideas ran out, but um, I'm all I'm all for continuing to explore the ideas. <laughs> well, there's another famous Lester Beale poster from this series that has a giant faucet and it has arrows going into the faucet and then arrows coming out of the faucet. Maybe next time if we do that poster, that can be the idea faucet and we'll oh, turn cool. on and then a yeah. bunch of new ideas will flow out. Hot ma'am. Todd, thanks so much for bringing the Shepherd Fairy poster into our conversation today. I really enjoyed learning so much about it. Same here, man. I really loved learning more about that time period in design and uh, have always known about Lester Bill, but you brought a lot more color today. And for those of you out there, join us next time around our virtual pub table as we talk about more design geek stuff. But use a coaster, please. <laughs> While we have your attention, if you want to learn more about us and the podcast, there are a few ways to do it. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. All of that is spelled out. No numbers. Kind of a long URL, so do yourself a favor and bookmark it. Once you're there, you can find links to more information about the subjects in this episode, our episode archive, and information about both of us. Wait... We do want people to visit, right? Well, oh, and look for us on social media. You can find those links on our website as well. And while we're at it, if you have a friend who you feel will dig on our rambling, tell him or her what we're up to. 
while we can't guarantee that they will remain your friend, we can guarantee that they will listen to at least 30 seconds of whatever episode you send them the link to. <laughs> That's being a little shameless. And speaking of being shameless, it wouldn't be a proper ask if we didn't mention that if you like what you hear, you can also make a donation via our website. We have a Nigerian prince handling all transactions for us. In fact, he told us to mention that we have stickers to mail to anyone who donates $10 or more. Are we done? We're done. We're done. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading. reading! Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show, or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.